Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Praying about the service and really uh, been somewhat of a difficult week for me. Just felt kind of low and we all have those times. I'm just being real transparent and open. And I didn't have a lot of push and pull to preach and, and I asked the Lord to help me. I need His help. And we all do. And he started dealing my heart about this scripture, and I felt a pretty good stirring in my heart last night and this morning. I want to thank the Lord for that, and I trust that the Lord will help us together. It's my heart's desire to help you this morning. That's what I want to do by the help. I understand that for me to help you, and really, I can't help you. The Lord's the one that will help you. But I know the instrument that God set it up is through the preaching of the Word of God. And so if I'm going to be of a help to you, then the Lord's going to have to help me to help you, and I want to help you this morning if the Lord will permit us to. Second Timothy chapter 3, let's stand together out of reverence and honor, the reading of the Word of God. Very familiar scripture that I'll read in your hearing, probably won't say anything you've not heard before. This is where my heart is, by the direction of God for the service this morning. I want to read the entire chapter, 17 verses, Second Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days... Perilous times shall come. I want to stop right there and say that I don't think it would be a discredit or disrespectful to the Scriptures for us to say that perilous times have come. We are in these days. And you'll understand, if you don't already, you'll understand as we read that we are in these times. Verse number 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses, lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their follies shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I'm interested this morning if God would help me for just a few minutes and you'd pray for me out of verse number 1 and verse number 14. Where Paul here is instructing his son in the faith, Timothy. We all know and understand in the next chapter is uh, where Paul is going to speak to Timothy and give him the charge. And going to tell Timothy that he is nearing the end of his course. That scripture we know so well where Paul Paul says, I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul was nearing the end of his journey. And somebody was going to have to pick up and take over where Paul would leave off. Now God did not need another Paul. If God needed another Paul, Paul would have stayed But God's desire was for Timothy to be Timothy the way God designed him and how God called him and to pick up where Paul left off. The reality is many people say about these who are outstripping us and going on, somebody needs to fill their shoes. I understand that statement. But nobody will ever fill their shoes. God is not asking for us to be another Paul or another Timothy, but He's asking us to pick up in the ministry the work where these others who have outstripped us and gone on have left off. And Paul deals with Timothy in two ways, in two fashions. Paul deals with Timothy in great reality. Paul does not sugarcoat what he's saying in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If Paul was going to sugarcoat it, he wouldn't have said it the way he said it. But Paul dealt with Timothy in great reality. And he said the reality is that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And of course we know that the term last days, it's thrown around very loosely in our day, but if you understand in rightly dividing the word of truth technically, uh, we have been in the last days since the day of Pentecost. That ushered in the last days, the last age of the church when the Spirit of God of the Holy Ghost came upon the apostles and they were sent forth to be witnesses unto the uttermost part of the earth. That ushered in the last days. And so, but we are in what many people say the last of the last days. Now, I don't know all there is to know, and neither do you. I don't know about everything in the end times. I just know this. I know I'm ready to go, and should he come today, I'm ready to go with him. But he may not come today. But there is an assurance to us that he that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. That's right. And so there's a reality about our day that we're in perilous times. Now I've heard preaching about perilous times all my life. And so have you. And about all the preaching, and I'm not mocking them or speaking negatively or critically about them. But about all I've heard about perilous times is that it's danger. That there's dangerous times. And that is an element of the word. But the word perilous means far more than dangerous. And that's why I think the people of God struggle so much. 
in the days we're living in because they don't understand what it means to be living in perilous times. And we are in perilous times. And the word perilous does not just mean dangerous, though that's part of the word. (coughs) But the word perilous also means fierce. It means hard to bear. It means difficult to cope with. It means days that will drain the spirit from a man. That will drain your strength from you. That you'll just feel like you're giving everything you've got just to stay in the place where you are. That you're tre- Have you ever felt like you're treading water? You know what you do when you tread water? You put all your effort and all your energy just keeping your head above the water. And that's where many people of God find themselves in this day. And it's a result, a direct result of living in perilous times. We are there. That is the reality. And I wouldn't do you any service. I wouldn't do you any good or benefit if I tried to sugarcoat and cover it up and preach fluffy clouds and babbling brooks. We must come to reality that we are in perilous times. But Paul did not stop at reality, thank God. And we don't have to stop at reality. But Paul spoke to Timothy not just in reality, but he spoke to Timothy in reassurance. He said, but, All these things are going to happen. All these things are going to come to pass. Men are going to be this way. They're going to resist the truth. They're going to turn their ears from the truth and be turned to fables. There's going to come a time, Timothy, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But will heat to themselves teachers having itching ears. They're going to come to all these things are a reality. But he said, but, despite what they're doing, don't let that affect what you're doing. He said, but continue thou in the things which I both learned and hast been assured of. And the Lord got to do in my heart yesterday about these two verses that we know the reality is in the last days. In our day, perilous times have come. But we must continue. The people of God must continue. And the Lord dealt with my heart in this manner and I want to preach this morning if the Lord will help me for just a few minutes on what will pull you through in perilous times. That's what I need to preach on. What will pull you through in perilous times? Thank God we got some things that will help pull us through in perilous times. Now I want to say right here before I can go on, I feel like I need to say this. It's going to take some effort on your part. We treat the Christian life like we come to church and we sit and we warm our however much space we take up on the pew and we expect God to do all God is not going to do everything. He expects some effort. There's some responsibility on your part. People say stuff like this. Well, preacher, I'm so, and I'm not belittling it. People say I'm so discouraged and they don't come to church half the time. And I think no wonder we're in perilous times. That's why the Bible said not forsake the assembly yourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I know it means so much more exhortation, but you can't be exhorted unless you assemble with the brethren. And so there's some effort. 
want to make sure there's a disclaimer about that to begin with. It takes some effort. You're going to have to be faithful to the house of God. I understand things come up. But a lot of times we let trivial things that should not keep us from the house of God keep us from the house of God. We come in from the workplace and we all do. And we're tired. And I understand sickness. I understand all that. There are times you can't come. I understand that. That's not what I'm preaching about. You go home and say, the preacher said we ought to come when we're running a fever and we ought to come. I'm not preaching about that. But there are times I don't feel good and don't feel like it, neither do you. It's part of living in the flesh. We ought not to let that keep us from coming to the house of God. It's needful in these perilous times. We preach... Several weeks ago, I don't know exactly when it was, but I thought about it again. The Lord brought it back to my mind in Judges chapter 6 that these are not our Father's days. And we preached about the reality that we can't constantly look back, but we can serve God in our day, but we also must come to the reality that these are not our Father's days. We're in perilous times, and we need the house of God. And we need one another. But thank God it ain't all up to us. If it was all up to us, we'd all be in a mess. If it was left up to us, we'd all go home today after the service and probably never come back. But thank God there are some things that God has given to us to help pull us through perilous times. I thought, first of all, I'm just going to give it to you how the Lord give it to me and then we'll be done and go. I want to say the first thing that will pull you through in perilous times is the indweller. Hey, somebody in you that's greater than he that's in the world. I got to study and I, I don't know if I'll get much farther than him. But if I don't, if I only preach to you this morning of the indweller, that'll be enough. We can shout and go home and say I've been helped by being in the house of God. I thought about the indweller. Jesus said the Holy Ghost which I shall give unto you shall abide with you and he shall be in you. In John chapter 14, I'm talking about after you're saved, when you get born again, the Holy Ghost takes up a boat he indwells the believer that's a special privilege only known by those who are saved by grace through faith the Old Testament saints did not have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost the Spirit of God would come on them but we are the only ones ever mentioned that the Spirit of God dwelleth in us it came to pass after the day of Pentecost when he came on the earth. Jesus said, I'll not leave you comfortless. He said, but I'll send another capital C comforter. And we do ourselves a great discredit by not studying the scriptures and understanding the language and what the scriptures saying. The word comforter doesn't mean that when you cry, and that, that is part of it, thank God. It don't just mean when you're going through bad times he's the one that pats you on the shoulder. He's the one that hugs you. That is part of it. How about the word comforter means he's the aider. Look up the word. Go home and study it. In Strong's Concordance it means that he is the one who aids us. It literally went on to say that he is the one who guides us into a deeper knowledge and a deeper walk through the Spirit of God. That is what Jesus said, ain't it? When the covers come, He'll remind you of all the words that I said and He'll guide you in all truth. And so thank God that this morning uh, we have somebody, an indweller in these perilous times uh, to help take us even
living in these last days. I don't read anywhere where the last days ever changed the ability of the indwelling. I don't read where the Laodicean days ever changed the ability of the Holy Ghost. I'm glad in these past times that we have an indweller who can lead us and guide us in a deeper walk with God. But it don't stop there. But the, the language says that He is the one who gives us divine power to overcome when we are tempted and tried. Literally, He is the reason we can make it through in these perilous times. If we didn't have Him, we'd all be in a mess. If we didn't have the indwelling of the Spirit of God, we'd all be in a fix. But I'm glad this morning that we have an indweller and He will pull us through in perilous times. It's in times when you say, Lord, I don't think I can make it. And I don't know where this thought process came from. I think we like to think too highly of ourselves. But I don't find it anywhere in the Bible. People say, well, the Lord said He would never put anything on you you couldn't bear. I can't find that in this Word. I've endured plenty of things I couldn't bear. And I'm not bragging on me. I'm going to brag on Him. He didn't say He wouldn't put nothing on you you couldn't bear. But He assured us there'd be nothing come our way that He couldn't handle, or that He couldn't take care of, or that the inner man couldn't deal with, or the Holy Ghost can lead us through. He can give us divine power. That's what the meaning said. A divine power. Supernatural power. You say, I don't have that power. If you're saved, you do. And we read that verse now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. But the verse don't stop there. It says according to the power that worketh in you. So what is that power? It's the power of the Holy Ghost. We have that indweller and he'll pull us through in perilous times. He's the comforter. Not only does it speak about him as the comforter, but it speaks about him being our keeper. Paul charged Timothy to keep that which he had committed unto him, but he said to do it in the power of the Holy Ghost. In other words, Paul said you can't keep it by yourself, Timothy. You can't make it by yourself, but there's one living in you, dwelling in you, guiding you, empowering you, working in you that will cause you to be able to keep what you need to keep in these past times. I'm glad this morning I'm not here keeping myself. If it was my job to keep myself, I'd have been out a long time ago and so would you. It's not my job to keep myself. Now, that does not condone living the old way you want to. That's contrary to the Word of God. We've got to keep this Scripture balanced. But I'm glad this morning I'm not working to be saved. I'm working because I am saved. There's a power at work in me. The Bible said, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And he said, And all things are of God, who worketh both the will and the do of his good pleasure. And so he's created us new and put a supernatural power at work in us that's keeping us and aiding us to be able to keep the fellowship and the relationship with God that we need in Paris times. The indweller. We could leave now and say, I've got all I need to pull me through perilous times. 
I mean, I felt like the Lord told me to start with Him and all these others are just side benefits. If we didn't have any of them, it would be okay. If we just had Him, He is all that we need. God gave us all we needed in Him. It's all contained in Christ. That is right. That's why Paul could preach so strongly to those Hebrew believers in the book of Hebrews. He said, you're not going to find anything in the law that you don't have far, not only just have, but have far superior to it in Christ. There's no need for the law. Christ has come, and you have in Christ far superior things than you ever had under the law. And so everything in Him this morning, the indweller, the power of the Holy Ghost, if we don't have anything else, will pull us through. Thank God. But I do believe according to scriptures and by the direction God's put on my heart, that the Lord's not only furnished us with an indweller to help pull us through these perilous times, but there are some other things in the scripture that the Lord speaks about that we as the people of God have to help pull us through these hard times, these difficult times, these times that are hard to bear and difficult to cope with and drain our strength away. Uh, Paul told them that he could continue, uh, which means to hold fast, to lay hold of, and to not become something other than what you are. He said, don't let perilous times change you. Don't let perilous times dictate how you walk with God. I'm afraid in our church age today, we're letting our days dictate how we walk with God rather than letting the indweller dictate how we walk with God. <coughs> and so we have an indweller. But then I want to say also, according to the Scriptures, we, we should have, if you're saved, you do have some enthusiasm about serving God. Paul said, continue thou in the things thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And Paul wasn't necessarily talking about himself either. He said, there's somebody greater than me, Timothy, that's witness to you about the power of the gospel that I'm preaching to you again. He said, there's somebody greater than I. When I'm gone off the scene, it won't stop with me, Timothy. You just need to continue according to that power that worketh in you, having known and has been assured of and knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Amen. I'll tell you, we, we get enthusiastic about temporal things. We don't have too hard of a time getting enthusiastic about the ball team. And I'm not, I mean, I'm just preaching this morning. I grew up, I was raised, my family was avid sports people. I played baseball all my life, had my ball team all my life, had hats and stickers on my first car and other cars. I mean, I was a sports person growing up, and I'm not knocking that as long as you keep it in its place, but it's funny to me that we don't have any problem getting enthusiastic about the ball team. But enthusiasm, enthusiasm about temporal things is easily swayed. We can be enthusiastic about them when they're hitting the home runs and they're on top and they're winning the World Series, but you let them bottom out and our enthusiasm quickly goes away. It's easy to meet up with the co-workers or whoever and be enthusiastic when the team won, but when they were, they were at zero and the other team whooped them, it's real hard to find enthusiasm about that. It's because it's temporal. Those things change. But the reason I can stand up here and tell you this morning, now I'm going to say this, we live in the flesh. Sometimes our flesh don't feel as good as it did last Sunday. 
and our enthusiasm if we base it on the feelings of our flesh uh, we'll wax and wane uh, but if the enthusiasm is based upon the one and the power that dwells in us we'll always have enthusiasm yes, always we ought to be enthusiastic about what we know yeah not talking about being arrogant but the Bible said these things are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. I ought to be enthusiastic that I know that I've been born again. And I know that. I'm not hoping that. I'm not waiting till the judgment to see about that. I know that now. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when we see Him, we know that we shall be like Him. There's some things I know. And I ought to be enthusiastic about what I know. That old blind man over there, he was pretty enthusiastic about what he knew. He's real quick to say there's some things he didn't know. And the world tries to hang so much on us and I'm going to go a lot farther than that and say religion. And the brethren will try to hang a lot of weights on you and you don't need all them. You just need to be enthusiastic about what you know. That pharisaical crowd, that religious crowd come and say, give glory to God. I mean, like they were the super spiritual ones. Like they were the ones in the will of God. Like they knew what he was talking They didn't have any idea. They said, give glory to God. Tell us this man's a sinner. We know he is. Well, if they knew it, why'd they need somebody else to tell them? Ain't that right? We got the world and we got religion, all these people saying, well, we know this and we want you to give. They don't need a witness if it's something they know. I don't need you to tell me and reaffirm to me I'm saved. If all you took a vote this morning and told me I wasn't, it wouldn't change a bit what I know. It might hurt my feelings. It would hurt my feelings. I would hope that I've had enough evidence that showed you enough in my life for you to know or have a witness that I've been born again. But even if you don't, it doesn't matter. I still know. The writer said I was there when it happened and I guess I ought to know. They said give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. He said, now hang on. He said whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All these questions you're asking me, I ain't got a clue. I don't know. He said, but I know one thing. He said, I was blind, but now I see. And they just walked away. There wasn't no more they could say. You say, why is that? He was enthusiastic about what he did know. There are a lot of things in this life I don't know. And you'd be foolish this morning to not say the same. But I'm glad this morning and enthusiastic about the things I do know. That's right. Old preacher, maybe I think it was said one time while he was preaching, he said, I wouldn't trade what I know for what you know and not to know what I know. There's a lot of people want us to know what they know, but I wouldn't swap what I know for what they know and not ever know what I know this morning. Because I can be enthusiastic about what I know and it don't never change. I may get up tomorrow and the bottom fall out of the economy and everything around me fall to pieces and me not feel real good physically and my flesh rise up, but I'm glad it doesn't change what I know. Paul said you ought to be enthusiastic about what you know. He said you ought to be enthusiastic about how you know it. That's what he said. He said you've known, he said you've received it, 
And he said, not only should you continue the things that's both learned and received, but he said, knowing of whom that's received them. See, I don't know what I know because the church said it. And I don't know what I know because the preacher said so. I don't know what I know because we walked down to the river and he put me under the water. I don't know what I know because I joined the church. I don't know what I know because I read the Bible. I know what I know because God did it. It was a supernatural word that he imparted unto me and he let me know that I'd been born again. And so I can be enthusiastic about what I know and how I know it. I can be enthusiastic about who else knows it. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about you all, but I'm glad if I know it, and he's the one that told me, then he must know it too. That's right. I mean, I know that's real simple preaching, but that's how the Lord put it on my heart. We ought to be enthusiastic that he knows. He knows. We sing that song, I know my name's there, and I'm so glad that I do know. But guess what? I'm glad he knows. We ought to be enthusiastic about that. Jesus come down one day and the disciples are rejoicing. They're hollering out, the demons are subject to us. Jesus said, don't rejoice in that. That's going to be temporal. And they're going to find that out a few chapters later when that man brought his son and they could not. He said, don't rejoice because the demons are subject unto you. He said, but rather rejoice in this, that you remember your name is written in heaven. I'm glad. I'm glad I can rejoice in that. You can rejoice when there ain't nothing else to rejoice in. Old Habakkuk said, when there's no herd in the stalls, when the flock perish, when there's no fruit on the vine, when the labor of the olive fell, when all that passes away, he said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I can be enthusiastic. You say there's not much to be enthusiastic about. Not in this world, there ain't. In this world, there's nothing. We sing them songs. There's several of them in the old red back book that say, talk about down here, you ain't going to have nothing but trouble and sorrow. All this world is is heartache and pain and woe. One writer said in this world, I've tried most everything and there's nothing good, but he said, I'm happy now to say there's nothing like salvation in the good old gospel way. I can be enthusiastic about that. I can't find anything to be enthusiastic about in Washington. And I'm going to say, it wouldn't matter to me which side was in control. There wouldn't be nothing enthusiastic for the child of God about anything they're doing up there. The whole crowd's wicked. And if they don't get right with God, they're all going to go to hell. That's right. I'm not being mean, I'm preaching the truth. I can't be enthusiastic about them. I can't be enthusiastic about what's going on in Asheville. I can't even be enthusiastic about good things so-called in this world. But I'm glad there's something that when I can't find anything else to be enthusiastic about, it stirs and swells in my heart. Jesus said it would. He did say it would. He got over yonder in John chapter 4 and I'm just trying to preach how it comes to me. He got over there in John chapter 4. That woman said, how are you going to get water? The well's deep. You ain't got nothing to draw with. He said, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. He said, but if you drink of the water I should give you, he said, that water will be a well in you and it'll spring up an everlasting life. He said, well, my enthusiasm ain't what it once was. I'm going to tell you, I've had them experiences too. And I'll tell you what I've come to find out. It's kind of like Abraham's wells over yonder when Jacob had to dig them, clean them out again. He didn't have to get down to the source. He just had to get the junk out of the way. The source was still powerful. 
The source is still there. There's just something blocking the flow. And the Bible said they dug them. All the elders got around and they dug them and they sung to it and said, spring up, O well. I'm telling you what you need this morning is for you and God to have a meeting together and say, God, give me the strength to get the dirt and the trash and the rocks and the sand and let it spring up again. Make me enthusiastic again. Say people ought to be the happiest, most joyful people on the whole earth. We ought to be enthusiastic about what we know and how we know it and who else knows it. So I'm glad there's enthusiasm that'll pull you through in perilous times. We might as well be honest. I was honest. I'm not bragging and boasting on me, but I was honest and open this morning and felt like I ought to be and it just ties right in. All week this week just been kind of a struggle to battle for me and I felt pretty low. I didn't feel no real, you know, sometimes you feel like you got a push to preach. And you may not understand that, but it, there's no difference between the preacher and the people. Sometimes you feel like you got pushed to live. But I'm glad every now and again we go from having to push to something pulling on us and pulling us through. When I say there's somebody and something to pull you through, that doesn't mean you're on the back struggling every step of the way, pushing with all your might. Sometimes that is the case. But thank God every now and again, He yanks the rope and pulls us through our hard times. And it'll take some enthusiasm. It'll help pull you through. When you realize again that's why Paul wrote many times in Peter 2 that it was good to stir up by putting in remembrance. We ought to remember where we were, where, where we were headed, what God did for us. It'll make you enthusiastic again. That's right. It'll help pull you through perilous times. But then I want to say, and I'm done. Two more things and I'll be done. I'm glad the indweller will pull us through. I'm glad enthusiasm will pull us through. But I want to say I'm glad there's, and I'm just preaching how God put it on my heart. I'm glad there are some investors that will help us pull through. He said, what are you talking about? Well, I already had that on my heart and I really didn't know all that the Lord wanted me to say. And Brother Hyatt called me last night. I'm starting meeting there, Lord willing, tonight. And he made this statement. He said, he got talking about some other men and people that said they were going to try to come some this week. And he, I said, that's wonderful. That'd be great. And he said, yeah, we need some people to help us push. And what he meant is we need some like-minded folks who will invest in this walk we're in. And it helps us all pull through. Now I don't know about all of you, but I'm sure I do. But I can only speak for myself. When I stand to preach, and I can look out over the congregation, and through the leadership and direction of the Holy Spirit, sense that there are some people in the congregation that have invested in the service and are pulling in the same direction that I'm pulling in. It helps pull me through. It's real hard to push against what everybody else is pulling. That's right. And I've been in some services where everybody was pulling in the opposite direction, and I was having to push. Push the whole way. Felt like he was trying to push the rope uphill. Y'all understand what I'm saying? That's because we weren't invested. We weren't all, we didn't all have the same goal. We weren't all like-minded. That don't mean we won't have differences of opinion. I already said that before the service. But that means when we come in the house of God, we got one mind and one accord and we've all invested and we're going to help each other pull through. Helps me pull through. Come to the house of God and feel like I don't know. I don't know the right way to say it. I don't guess. It's hard to describe, but you'll understand it. 
Have you ever come to the house of God and when you walked through the doors you felt like you was pushing with everything in you and when you left out the doors felt like you was sliding on the top. Wasn't no effort required at all on your part. You're just skating right through. That doesn't take away our effort. That doesn't take away our responsibility. But thank God it does make it a little easier to pull through perilous times when they're investors and we're all in it together and all pulling in the same way. It's a whole lot easier to pull a load when you've got a whole lot of people pulling in the same direction. And I'm not saying you can't overcome when there are others pulling in the opposite direction. But I'm going to tell you, the more that pull in the opposite direction, the harder it is to be on you to pull in the direction God says to go. And so that's why, and I don't know, I've been on this a couple times, but I feel like I need to get on it again. That's why we've got to be real careful about wiring our feelings on our shoulders, right on the edge, having them knocked off. I'm going to tell you what we're doing. We're pulling in the opposite direction. Being offended. We ought not to offend. We ought to guard ourselves in two aspects. Number one, we ought to guard ourselves that we don't offend. Number two, that we're not offended. There are going to be times we get offended, but we ought to get over it. See, that's a problem with many of the people of God. It's reality. It's the nature of the flesh. We all have different opinions. At times, we're going to offend each other, but the true test and the true mark of spirituality is how quickly we get over it. We get over it. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I've been in services and a preacher. Now, there's a vast difference in preaching in love with the power of God and sometimes some stiff preaching and strong preaching and hard preaching. I don't know what soft preaching is, but I've always heard hard preaching, you know. Things that kind of step on our toes and plow up our row. And if we're not careful, our flesh will get offended. we got to make sure the inner man is, not, is the one that rises up and says, I need this. I may not like this. It may hurt my flesh. It may hurt my feelings. But it's the truth. And I need it. And I need to scoot up to it. And I need to grab on the rope with the man of God and all the other church. And I need to pull in the same direction. That's right. (coughs) Thank God for some investors. But then I want to say, and I'm done. I've already preached longer than I meant to. But I've enjoyed preaching this morning. Thank God for the indweller. Thank God for the investors. Thank God for uh, excitement, enthusiasm. I want to say thank God for encouragement. And I'm not talking about fleshly, you know, in the flesh, wanting to feel good about it. I'm not talking about that. But the Bible word, now the word encouragement's in there, but the Bible word, the real word I'm interested in this morning is exhorting. And exhorting or exhortation will help pull you through perilous times. If that was not the case, the writer would have never wrote, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You say, what day is that, preacher? Well, there's a whole lot of debate, but really the reality is that regardless of what day, the reality is while you have time, whether it's the day of death, the day of the coming of the Lord, whatever day it may be, it's while you have time, while we know that we're drawing to the end, coming to the close, we're in these last days, these perilous times, we need exhorting so much the more. You say, why do we need it more? Because it'll help pull us through in perilous times. See, exhorting is not just something I'm standing up here and giving you my opinion about. Exhorting is a must. It's commanded in the Bible. 
for you to exhort one another. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. More than once is it found in the Word of God, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, for the people of God to exhort one another. At the end of Moses' life, Moses was commanded of God twice to encourage and exhort Joshua. Because God knew and Moses knew what Joshua was fixing to face. Moses had faced it for all them years. And God said, Joshua is a man and he needs some help. And he'll need something that will pull him through when all the people rebel against him and against me. You better exhort and encourage him. Paul exhorted people. I think Paul, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. Paul had the ministry. I think, so, I think it ought to be manifested, this thing of exhorting. I think it ought to come out in all the people of God at some point or another. I think there'll be times in your life, in Acts chapter 13, I think it is, Paul and his company went into the synagogue. They sat down. The reading of the book was done. And when they got done, the leader motioned and said to you, Paul, and not just you, but to any of your company, have a word of exhortation for the people. And if you do, we want you to say on. I think there are going to be times we come into the house of God, you're going to have the word of exhortation. It may not be every time and it may not be often, but I believe that at least one or two times at some point in your life, God's going to give you some kind of word to help pull us through in perilous times. And if you get that word from God, you ought to say on. But I also believe according to Scriptures that exhorting or exhortation is also a ministry, a gift given given to some people by God. I think some people have that gift I'm not preaching charismatic gifts. I'm preaching about the works of the gifts of God that are at work in the church today. I think some people have that gift. I think Paul had that gift. Matter of fact, I know he did. They took him outside the city and stoned him and left him for dead. And when he got up, he walked back in the city and the Bible said he exhorted them. I mean, here's a man he just got stoned and left for dead. And if anything, they ought to be exhorting him that he has the gift and it just comes out in him. And so y'all not to, now if you're following the Lord now, y'all not to let it bother you if you feel like you're one of the ones that always speaks up in the service or speaks up in the time of testimony. It may just very well be that God has been pleased to give you the gift to exhort the people and it helps pull us through in perilous times. Exhorting is a motivator. It motivates the people. That's why you'll find in the Scriptures a lot of times when Paul had to give stiff instruction, the Bible said he exhorted and then he instructed. They were coupled together. They worked hand in hand. It was an encouragement to them to apply the truths of the Word of God and make it work in their life. And We need encouragement. Encouragement is not entertainment. Exhorting is not entertainment. It has nothing to do with the flesh. Nothing. We live in a day-to-day where they take entertainment and exhortation to be synonymous. There's no entertainment to go on in the house of God. It's not a place for entertainment. It's a place where we hear from God. It's a place for the body of Christ to be edified. And the name of God to be exalted. And the people of God that are struggling to be exhorted and encouraged. The word exhort means to stir up the Spirit. We, some of us come in the house of God, we need to be stirred up. Yes, That's not my opinion. Peter, I think it was, said, I find it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up. 
He said, I want to exhort you. And it's not fleshly things. True exhortation is always of God and for the people. It's a word from God for the encouragement, the stirring, the strengthening, the refreshing of the people. Paul made acknowledgement of it. He got to writing. He said in 1 Timothy, I think maybe, he said, there's a man by the name of Onesiphorus. He said, I want you to take notice to that man for he oft refreshed me. Paul said he was an exhorter to me. He was an encouragement to me. He helped pull me through in my perilous times. And I'm going to say this morning, I thank God that the Lord set all this up. I'm not magnifying us nor the church above the Lord. If it wasn't for Him, we started with Him. If it wasn't for Him, we wouldn't have any of the other things. But I'm glad that God saw fit in His perfect will to put the church together as He did so that we could exhort and encourage and support and excite one another and help pull one another through in perilous times. I'm glad this morning we're not, we live in a day and I am done. I've said that a lot, but I really am done. We live in a day where we feel like we have this idea that the church has just got to push through till the end. I don't find that anywhere in the Bible. That we're just supposed to push through and make it however, somehow. But I'm glad this morning we can be pulled through. And we'll be pulled through. We've been given the indweller. The indwelling of the Holy Ghost is in us. He'll pull us through all these perilous times. Now I'm not excusing you not making, putting forth any effort. It's going to take some effort on your part. But thank God when you exhaust, there's somebody in you to pull you through. And there ought to be some enthusiasm. And maybe the enthusiasm's low. We just need to be reminded again of what it is we know and how we know it. Thank God there's some investors. We're all in this thing. We're not fighting against one another. If we are, there's a real problem. We're in this thing together. We ought to be all pulling in the same direction. If we're offended, we ought to get it right. Because if you're offended, you're either doing one or two things. You're not pulling at all or you're pulling in the opposite direction. We need one another to pull in the same direction. And thank God for some encouragement, some exhorting. I'm glad there have been times, and I'm not, you know, sometimes we look at the preacher like he's super spiritual. There have been times I've walked in the house of God and I didn't feel much enthusiasm and my will wasn't springing up like it once did. And I felt like throwing in the town quitting. But thank God for some words of exhorting from the brethren, from the people that God put us in this thing together to help pull us through perilous times. Thank God for that. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. I'm glad we'll make it. The days may look hard. And they may be difficult. Paul said all that live God in Christ Jesus, we're all going to suffer persecution. But thank God we've got some things and someone to help pull us through in perilous times. We're not just trying to push our way through, make it the best we can. Just survive. I don't know where that idea comes that in these last days the church is just surviving. The church don't have to survive. We're not backed up into a corner somewhere. You won't read that anywhere in the Bible. Jesus said, I'll build my church and even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is going forward. Thank God we have something and someone to help pull us through in perilous times. Father, I thank You, Lord, this morning for the privilege and the opportunity to have been able to be in the house of God with your people. Thank you, Lord, for each one that's come this way.